Yes, we head straight into the markets, and uh, that's where we kick things off. Joined on the line by Chief Investment Officer and founder at Markwe Fund Managers, and that is Markwe Masilela. Markwe, Lochani. Lochani, Linjani. Ah, I'm on the street. Okay. No, that's good, my brother. Makwe, I, I, I want us to start with that story I, I was telling uh, our listeners about. Baby formula. Uh, it's being transported in military ship, uh, sh- uh, well, mil- not military ships, military aircraft uh, from places like Australia into the United States. When's the kind of When's the main producer in the U.S. was a recall. So they couldn't replace. I think it was up around February. Mm. And also, we also have these issues with the supply chain issues. You know, but for me, what's more interesting is these Western countries who are preaching that health, 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 that you must breastfeed our kids. Seemingly, they are not doing that because mm. apparently half of the U.S. parents don't breastfeed their kids, you know, who are three months or less old. They rely on this baby formula. So it's a big market, you know, when it comes to that. But yes, the long and short is apparently the major supplier had some recall and they cannot make up for that. And the other guys now, they're looking for approval because remember, it's very sensitive. You don't just ship into the country mm. because so you have to get some approval from the government that yours is okay. It can be allowed in the U.S. But so there was a <laughs> So they don't want to make it worse. Okay, no, I get you, I get you, I get you. But what is this, what is this virus, man? This chronovac, yes, chronovector. Yeah. What is that? And then how can we go around it? Sure. But I think it's, it's one of those important things that maybe people have to get against hands. You get to, you need to get some approval mm. before you can ship stuff like that. Yeah. That is why you have to get your the equivalent of the medical association or the drug association, you know, to approve that this is okay and healthy for the babies. Sure. And remember, Abandona Banganida are extremely sensitive because even system Yabo is not as strong as ours. Yeah, yeah. You know, I was listening to somebody earlier on today who was saying uh, this chronovector um, is not really harmful to adults. But to children, yes. I mean, you know, just even a small minute dose of it can trigger meningitis, can trigger cardiovascular issues, can trigger so many things. Um, and so as you correctly say, I think, you know, immune system is so vulnerable um, that this becomes an issue. But I guess, you know, also the, this not wanting disruption in the food supply of a very young person at the most vulnerable stage of their life is also what in a sense has triggered this supply crisis because effectively what people have been doing is to panic buy the stuff. Yes, and, and it just happens, you know, because it's not only just for kids. Now, I remember, sometimes we panic by stuff, you know, whether it's water or whatever, they're going to start with the COVID. We panic buying all this. Uh, Why are we panic buying toilet paper? So people, they've got that tendency. It comes natural that, no, 
I don't want to be stranded. I don't want to run short of this. And as you said, with the kids, it's even worse because if that's what they're only relying on, then you have to make sure with the buzzwater because if the formula is not there, then we don't lose the because they don't have other alternatives. Mm. Mm-hmm. Mark, I guess, I mean, the other element to it is uh, I mentioned the sort of military airplanes. Um, but a big part of this, I guess, has also been met by a massive defense-like response. I mean, triggering an act which is often only associated with warlike situations, uh, relaxing imports of this product into into the United States. It's certainly something very high up on the agenda of uh, the president of the U.S., Joe Biden. It, it, it has to, and I think they had a meeting around after two their time. And for them to trigger that, they'll, that will also allow them to bypass other normal things that usually get to be followed. You can call it some form of uh, disaster management in a way. Mm. So that will give them the powers, you know, by triggering that act that, no, we are in, call it a a whole zone kind of a thing, so we cannot be doing things normal. And truth be told, Aya, this is very tired. This is serious. We cannot be following all this long, long, long processes if kids don't have food. But if they can be doing stuff like that with all other things maybe the world will be more efficient that listen guys we don't have time we just have to move so yeah they just i agree with them all to the same because it's a very dire situation and as the current president we don't want to have that you know on your record mm-hmm. that during our term you had so many babies who died because you couldn't allow mm-hmm. some formulas to come from other countries to help our babies yeah yeah Let's leave that one, and uh, certainly a developing story we're going to be following quite closely there, the uh, baby formula shortage out in the U.S., uh, which is triggering all manner of responses. And uh, stay with Global News. OPEC, uh, and maybe for the purposes of uh, many of our listeners who are very frustrated with uh, the prices they saw at petrol stations earlier on today, um, who is OPEC, and you know what... What role do they play in the bigger scheme of things? I mean, what, what do they play in the price of bread and the price of almost any and everything that we do and use? I, uh, OPEC is a cartel. Mm. As simple as that. The guys, they control the oil market. They produce almost 40% of the global oil. Mm. So the guys are in the position to control prices. Hence, they will meet and decide on the output. Hence, they will say this is how much you supply so that they can depress the prices, or they can increase the prices. Hence, you'll get calls from the Western countries that please start pumping more. And the de facto leader of OPEC is Saudi Arabia. Mm. And then Russia happens to be the second biggest, you know, uh, what do you call it, or crude oil uh, exporter in the world. And Russia is not officially a member of OPEC. Mm. Hence, now lately, they call it OPEC Plus, meaning OPEC and some of the others. Sure, sure. So, You've got, in Africa, you've got the likes of Angola, Nigeria, who are also part of that, you know. So basically, this is a cartel that is controlling the oil market. Mm. And you'll hear the World Trade Organization saying cartels are not allowed. But this cartel, apparently, they cannot touch it because it has been there ever since. And it's a cartel that determines the price of every and anything we use. Basically, because anything that you use has got a petrol component on it. Remember, there was a time when we had oil prices. I think that was just at the beginning of the lockdowns of COVID-19 that it dropped to almost 27 or 25 US dollars. Because Russia and Saudi Arabia, they were having a price haul. I remember 29 US dollars at some stage. Exactly. 
because of that price of between number one and number two, Saudi Arabia and Russia, then sanity prevailed. Then they had to make sure that they started doing things properly. Mm. But yes, OPEC, in simple terms, they are controlling the oil market because they account for over 40% of oil production. Now, this second in charge uh, by way of production of oil, Russia, a lot is happening to them. Um, and everybody, it seems, is in a mood now where, you know, you've got to meet your quota if you're in a cartel. If, if they said, Mahakwe must supply X amount, million barrels, uh, you know. The other cartel members are saying Russia is not in a position to meet its quota and might have to be ejected from the cartel. If it is indeed ejected from the cartel, uh, what will it take to replace uh, the second largest oil producer's contribution? Uh, and what impact is that going to have on prices? You get Saudi to pump more. They've got the capacity. You put more money into Libya so that they can meet their quotas. You also have the likes of Angola, Nigeria, Venezuela, so that they can start pumping more because those are some of the guys who couldn't make their quotas because of the investment that they didn't make when they were supposed to be made. It might not happen overnight, but yes, over a period of time, that can be sorted out. But the beauty for us as consumers, Russia can now also do the same and say, listen, I'm dropping the prices and take the prices down. Remember, OPEC members, most of them, if not all, they're depending on oil prices to generate the wealth for their economies. So they need that oil money. So if you take the prices down, as it happened, as $29 a barrel, mm. then you're also killing them. And I'm not sure if OPEC is right by doing that. I think the meeting is tomorrow, because now they're saying that taking sides already, you know, when it comes to this whole issue of Ukraine and Russia. Uh, so I'm not too sure, because the last meeting, they stayed away from all these issues about Russia and Ukraine. And Russia attended the meeting, and then the guys continued to do what they promised initially, that they'll gradually increase the, the supply. Mm. So by them now saying, because the rumors that Russia apparently is taking some of their oil, they're hiding them in the tankers in, in India. Mm. We know India made it clear that they will buy, uh, what do you call this thing, Russian oil. What, so what happened Russia to the tanker is, that they said was hovering in our waters? <laughs> that's a very, very big rumor, you know. And if that's the case, it means Russia is able to produce and able to find a way how to supply the oil. So why should you not allow them to produce like other guys as well? Sure. It should be Russia who are saying, listen, you said we must produce 10 extra, but unfortunately our capacity doesn't allow us to produce mm-hmm. 10 extra. Not for you to dictate to them. Mm-hmm. You know, for me, where I'm sitting, I can hear what the commentary is saying. I mean, a lot of people are saying we might edge closer and closer to 100 US dollars a barrel. I actually, on the back of this particular view, if indeed OPEC plus disintegrates and sees the exit of Russia as a contributor to the, that supply base and a particular type of price. I, I, firstly, I don't see any of the other entities replacing that capacity or having a willingness to do so, least of all Saudi Arabia. Number two, um, I think the implication then, of course, will be prices nearing or hovering around that 130 US dollar barrel mark. And we know what that's going to mean. I mean. You're paying 30 rand a liter at the pumps. But remember the sanctions is it against Iran. Yeah, but what's the likelihood that, uh, you know, uh, Washington will release those sanctions against uh, uh, Iran? 
against the Tehran yeah, they, they have to come to the party because there's been rumors that the guys are trying to revisit that nuclear deal, you know, that, that, that the one that was signed, you know, that they, they've been taught at some point, mm. some humans back that are trying to revisit that. So all I'm saying is when things are better as that, you just have to look somewhere else because that oil is not yet in the market. And the guys who know the economy is struggling, they will grab any opportunity to be able to make money for themselves. And you are right. You cannot replace that overnight. Mm. But I think as well, it tells you that maybe the whole thing of trying to look for alternatives is now because people have been really darling about this whole issue. You know, but you know, we need to start moving from oil, blah, 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 mm. blah. And hence, people didn't make the right investments during COVID. And hence, they couldn't even meet the demand that came after we've seen COVID or the restrictions thereof get to be eased. So I agree, it cannot be done overnight. Mm. But Russia will also feel the pain. Oh, and I wonder what uh, would be in it. Uh, for Tehran in a revisiting of that nuclear deal, but also, I guess, bringing some of their oil online into the global supply. Well, unless they start sympathizing with Russia as well and say, you know what, you, the US and your Western guys, we're sticking with Russia now. This is our time to make you feel the pain. We don't give you oil, so let be no supply of oil. And we've seen that demand is starting to pick up. China has started to open up the economy. You know, the Shanghai's of this world are opening, so mm-hmm. probably demand might pick up. So if it picks up and there's no supply, then unfortunately that will drive oil prices high. Or Russia can be nasty. They've got so much money as when it comes to reserves. Mm-hmm. And they listen, for the next two months or so, we can do without that money. Let's drop the prices and see what will happen. We should be good for consumers, by the way. Yeah, yeah. Look, I mean, I think the moment they fight, as you said the last time, the price war between Russia and Saudi Arabia the last time gave us, uh, you know, fuel prices that many of us were happy about. But we weren't driving as much as we're driving now. So that's the other issue. But, Markwe, let's stay in the world of energy from uh, oil and fuel to gas. I think I understand the High Court out in Kabecha today hearing representations insofar as whether or not an environmental... Uh, approval via the MPRDA, which is the mining legislation, is akin or the same as a environmental authorization that would come from the National Environmental Management Act, NEMA. Phew. Yeah. <laughs> That's too much legal, eh? Yeah, but, but I, English, English. But it's, it's, it's very interesting, you know, if you listen to some of the arguments that, listen, when this was approved... It was approved on the basis that the plan and authorization are more or less the same thing. So when people have to renew, it that has to be applied. And when you brought back, they only came up with the new act. The guys already had the, the exploration uh, uh, rights. But now, the counter-argument becomes that, uh-uh, the only thing that changed was the office. That this office will do this, this other office will do X. And it becomes interesting, but you ask yourself that what is the right thing to do mm. for the economy and what is the right thing to do whether you have to consider the environment over the economy. Because that is the question that, remember the debate that we had before, sure. I mean, about lives and livelihood when we had the COVID or the COVID restrictions. Could you not? Poverty kills more than COVID itself. So when you continue to shut down the economy, you are making things worse. So I think the very same argument that I think people will continue to debate that up until their kingdom come. 
that what is more important, saving the environment or helping the economy which is struggling. Yeah. But you, know, you see, Mark, the other issue here, uh, which I think is an important one, it's just that I haven't heard any representations from the Department of Environment, Forestry and Fisheries. Because if the suggestion is made that this authorization was done as per the MPRDA, then there must be surely somebody who might say, well, the substantive process followed to come to that outcome is very similar to the process that the NEMA would have followed in substance. And therefore, you know, it might be the same thing. Or they would say something different to say, look, well, the process envisaged now has these two extra additional steps. Can you go through these steps? And it just seems to me that all of this, in between all of this legalese is the point you're making, which is, you know, yeah, the courts are dealing with it, but surely at a level of society, there should have been by now some mechanism that says, give communities the right to reject some of these things. Free, prior and informed consent, sharp. But also be able, on the other hand, to make quite clear to investors that, look, here's the process. This is what it looks like. Um, and it's not a given or foregone conclusion that you're going to get some of these things. Go through the right process and also show that your harm to the ecosystems, marine life and so on, um, is something that you have at least considered and mitigated so that you don't have to now deal with um, you know, the uh, implications of this in the courts and so on. Because if there's one thing for sure, that we must be clear about is that I think South African communities, uh, I don't know, maybe it's just in the nature of what we do in South Africa, will not just say, okay, sure, sure, yeah, you want to mine, sharp. Oh, you want to go in, okay, sure, lovely. No, 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 no. Which I think is a good thing. I mean, that uh, our people uh, exercise a particular layer of scrutiny and uh, very circumspect. I don't think, Mm. on the latter point, I don't think so. I think maybe we need to move away from the winner takes all kind sure. of a situation sure. and in almost all the things that you're doing you know that black or white can people find a common ground that listen there will be let's for argument's sake there'll be some damage to the environment mm. right can't we say yeah there'll be damage but we can live with 40 30 to whatever percentage damage to the environment that's my point exactly mark i'm saying exchange, that, that sure. should not be determined in a court of law that mm-hmm. should be determined in a societal, civic, or political process, right? And I think it's, it's so difficult because so many things in South Africa are being resolved in the courts when ideally yeah. we should just be sitting yeah. down and saying, look, Markwe, Brur, you are, this is my theory of what harm you are going to do. So here are the things we need to deal with to mitigate that harm. And if it's clear mm-hmm. that that harm is unmitigatable or whatever, then bye-bye, booty, fold your things, study patches, it was good game, you know? And then the very same community, they've got their environment intact and then they're living in poverty. No, but they want a different type of development. So, so I think the other but issue do, here... Do you have the investor to come and do that? No, but the other issue is this, Marco. If, for instance, a community is saying, look, we want tourism and agriculture as the key drivers, and we are willing to have a discussion with the government to give us all of the things uh, as just you know, minimum investments, and then, of course, we'll attract other investment thereafter. It just seems that that type of discussion is foreclosed. Because you're right, you can, in a way, have a a coexistence of some of these ecosystems. You can have both, right? But in some cases, the scale of the type of mining operations that sometimes people are looking for already works on the assumption that there will be no other form of accumulation part except for mining. And I think, for me, that's that's the unfortunate part, you know? I agree. 
enhance something and we agree that it doesn't have to be the winner takes all sure. but you have to try to balance and balancing is not 50 50 you know yes. balancing is that okay i can live with 30 percent i try you know kind of a situation as long as i know that forever. there might be some this kind yeah. of damage and these are the economic benefits going forward because sure. truth be told sure. we keep on saying that things are evolving we keep on saying that we have to find a new way of doing things sure. the same thing that you have okay. to start also applying to our environment yeah let's do this we have to leave it there for tonight but as always alistair oliver hey,